0: Good afternoon to all of our fellow health enthusiasts. My name is Aubrey Mast, and I'm a professor of nutrition. This is a new podcast developed by my friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Benz, and we call the show Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. We search the internet every day to find the best scientific studies that can be used to improve the health of every interested person. You will not see many of these studies in conventional media because most doctors do not have the time or the interest in finding them. And there are many special interests that are less than enthusiastic about you knowing about this studies. Every week, we will explore nutritional science that has the potential to prevent and even reverse 90% of chronic illnesses. This could save many lives and help to stop the healthcare crisis that will eventually bankrupt our country. This is frequently called functional medicine and has been adopted by thousands of doctors, as well as some medical schools and hospitals, including the Cleveland Clinic. Today's program is entitled The Increase of Chronic Disease in Children. How are you Dr. Benz?
1: Fine, how are you today? (laughs) I'm
0: doing good.
1: This is a subject near and dear to both of our hearts because you have a a son that's about the same age as my grandson. I think keeping them healthy is something that's a priority for both of us. And it seems like they're becoming increasingly vulnerable um, based on the study that I sent to you. What did you think when you saw the results of that study?
0: I mean, I was alarmed from it. And, you know, I'll be frank with you that um, this week I am coming off of a conference on culinary medicine and was teaching my new class about nutrition through the lifespan. And we were talking about obesity and type 2 diabetes and uh, cancer and heart disease trends among children. And the conference I attended over the weekend was really indicative of showing that these rates are increasing, especially through the pandemic, when we've become more sedentary. Um, you know, parents have been balancing lots of different hats and roles. And through that sedentary time period, we've been choosing a lot of foods that, you know, are nutritionally depleted. And it's very concerning for me, because it, you know it increases the susceptibility of a whole host of illnesses and issues and symptomologies long term for children
1: well I, I think that at the beginning of the article um, they didn't have the most up-to-date information they actually were saying that in uh, 1994 uh, the childhood chronic illness rate was 12.8 uh, percent and that by 2006 it had gone up to 26.6 percent Uh, I think it's somewhere close to 40% now. And that's 40% of children uh, will have um, a chronic disease during their childhood. And beyond that, uh, the CDC did a study on type two diabetes and they estimated that for type two diabetes, any child born after the year 2000, Caucasian children 40% 40% of them will get diabetes in their lifetime and for african american 45% will get diabetes in their lifetime and for hispanics uh, 50% will become diabetic in their lifetime if you go back years years and years ago 30 40 years the, the, those rates are around 5 10% and now we're looking at 50% it's it's absolutely insane and I would like to help you and with our listeners uh, joining in to, to take this in, understand, why, why is this happening? I mean, yeah, the pandemic had an impact recently. But what was happening in the last 40 or 50 years that changed all these numbers so significantly? In, in your opinion, what were the causal factors?
0: Well, I think we have to look at the agricultural food revolution and how we have subsidized foods, and the school systems have been a dumping ground for subsidized foods, specifically corn, soy, and wheat. And so uh, the school lunch program, I think, is a huge culprit of these increasing rates. The fact that we know children at you know, their taste buds are conditioned based upon what they're exposed to in utero and what they're exposed to um, when they start weaning off of breast milk or off of formula foods and formula feed. And I think both of those factors play a huge role in what children start to crave. And, you know, there's the nag factor that happens for kids too of like, oh, well, I only want chicken fingers or I only want French fries. And parents give into that. And I think those pieces are coupled with, you know, we have as adults, we are extremely stressed, we work a lot of hours and we, from a culinary medicine perspective, we lack a lot of culinary skills in order to make good, wholesome, whole foods, rich foods. And so I think it's all of those components tied together.
1: I I, I think you nailed the the primary cause, but look at the uh, number of women that had to join the workforce in the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, Before when when men were the primary uh, earners of income, um, I think women were more likely to play the domestic role and do that food preparation that you're talking about. Uh, But that went away in the 70s and has continued to go away. And now uh, it's really a challenge, as you said, for parents to actually be able to provide really healthy meals for their kids because they're just pressed for time so much. And, and if you go back to the root cause of this, if, if employers were paying decent salaries to people, um, they wouldn't have to have two incomes uh, for every household in order to survive. So, you know, let's, let's go back to, to the root cause. We're, we're not a country that really provides adequate income for a lot of people in the lower to middle income bracket and we don't provide very good health services and social services uh, compared to other countries as well. So you know, let's let's call a spade a spade. I mean, it's, they're just not getting that job done. And if you add to that uh, chemical pollution, with more people living in big cities, and more air pollution, and 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 more carbon being. Uh, put into the atmosphere and we know that the there's been an increase in allergies and asthma all these lung related diseases and certainly pollution doesn't help in that area at all and then I would add the final thing and that is radiation Uh, the number of kids that are using computers for numbers of hours every day has just skyrocketed and we know there's a detrimental effect on their health because of that so there are some of the major factors, the nutri, the nutrition, the, the, the parenting, the pollution, the radiation. Now, uh, what are we going to do about this? I mean, I, I have younger people that I'm helping every day with thyroid issues, um, kids that are having Epstein-Barr virus problems and anorexic problems. I mean, it's just it's getting to be an epidemic. It's almost like more patients and people are coming to me for help in that area than some of the traditional ones. And I just, did your conference have any solutions that they were offering on this area?
0: Well, we were really looking at culinary medicine throughout the conference. And so, you know, it's really alarming when you start to hear the rates of, that children born today and born within the last 10 years are expected to die before their parents will because of inherited disease risk. And when I think you start to look at it through that angle and you become a parent or you're somebody that's associated with young children, you start to like have this wake up call. I was on a board a couple of years ago and I was talking with a cardiovascular surgeon and I was, you know, pressing him a little bit about who were his most common patients. And he was reporting to me that he had just performed open heart surgery on a seven-year-old that had atherosclerosis um, plaques in his arteries that he would have typically seen in a 70 year old and at that moment i had this huge like oh my gosh a seven-year-old with um, blood vessels as clogged as a 70 year old what is going on and what do we do about it? And so the conference that I was attending, you know, and I'm a huge proponent of this, and I believe believe it into my bones that we have got to connect individuals with where their food comes from again and again. And research really does show this that if children are involved in school gardens or home gardens, um, and that could be container gardens or any type of food food procurement. Going to the farmer's market, connecting with whole food sources and where food originates from, that it actually shifts food behaviors and food choices. And a lot of the um, points that were coming up at this conference were looking at how do we educate kids about not only growing their own food, reconnecting them with the soil, reconnecting them with the seeds and the harvesting of food, but then also the preparation of food. Um, because they're so intricately aligned with reducing exposure to toxins, reducing radiation, getting our hands in soil, helping to support the immune system, helping to support the gut microbiome, helping with uh, brain health. The, like, I really believe that there's a huge opportunity to not only change the school lunch program and school systems by introducing school gardens, but also within institutions. If we had living walls and rooftop gardens in our employer's buildings if our hospitals were equipped with gardens and we were actually equipping people with understanding where to how to produce their food and then how to prepare it i think you could see a humongous shift in multiple factors that are of concern to children and then also adults
1: i, I agree with you 100 percent, and um i've i've been following the work of a of a cornell woman uh phd Antonia Demas, mm-hmm. and uh, she's been working for, I don't know, 30 years now, uh, trying to put this program into schools, especially around grade six and grade eight. And she actually, um, because all, all courses are kind of combined in that grade, Uh, you don't have the separation of mathematics and history. And so she actually came up with a program that taught mathematics to kids by measures and other things that have to do with food. She taught geography because of foods coming from different parts of the world. And then she actually got the kids to develop recipes, which they then put into the cafeterias. And with the kids doing all this creative work, the other kids in the school, decided that they would root they would go over to the kids recipes because they were better than the school recipes that were based Mm -hmm. on the USDA pyramid and she's done over 200 schools like that now and I think her daughter is working in the Baltimore Maryland schools and uh, she also has has helped different schools to do an evaluation I think it's called the golden carrot award And what they do is they will go in and they'll evaluate the school's eating program and they'll come up with recommendations on how to improve it, putting more plant-based foods and other things into it. So the solutions are there in, in, in the terms of nutrition. We just have to get people to understand where they are, how to access them and how to put them into their school district. Because most of these school districts still are not paying very much attention to this. And I think it's catastrophic. And so there, there's some solutions in that area. How about, how about beyond nutrition for now? What are some of the other things? And uh, be careful because I have a big bugaboo about, about parenting. I, I wrote a book called Rebecca Sue's Her Mother, You Caused My Diabetes. And uh, the Oprah Magazine and, and their show wouldn't even, wouldn't even promote it. Uh, because it was too derogatory towards mothers and they didn't want to go that way but I'm now coaching uh, a teenager that has anorexia and the mother quite frankly admitted to me over the last week that she obviously didn't do the job she could have or her child wouldn't have developed this anorexia and she would like some help to get it right and I just wish more mothers would step up and say you know what? I didn't do the job that I should have. I'm going to step up and do a better job now because I don't want my, my children or my grandchildren, if it's older, older people, I don't want them to get sick. I I, I don't know. Am I going too strong on this?
0: Well, I think it's both part parents' roles. I don't think it falls just on women. And I think also, I mean, it's based upon good role modeling and that role modeling happens in the kitchen and outside of the home. So, Role modeling can also look like uh, after dinner, we're gonna take a family walk. Or I mean, even the research shows that if you're having a family dinner together, that's a great way of actually counterbalancing type two diabetes and obesity and weight gain risk. And so I think there's that piece that has to be a factor of role modeling within family structures and however that may look for an individual. Um, And then the, the improvement of movement, you know, of getting our bodies moving. And I think that's really uh, a concerning area for me. Like my son's school is they federally mandated 30 minutes of um, physical education. 30 minutes of physical education is not nearly enough for children that are sitting all day long or that children that have attention deficits or are neurodivergent. We need to be able to encourage more movement, and that means really rethinking how uh, academia is really set up.
1: No, I think you're right, and you know, I, I have my own uh, grandchild and and uh, my son and, and daughter-in-law as good examples, where you know we kind of negotiated, you know, how, how many hours a day would he get to have the computer? They're very good at going out to uh, get exercise with with multiple activities and. They put the grandson into all kinds of swimming and and other exercise uh, programs and sports programs. And so I got to congratulate them on that. But, you know, they bought in as soon as he was born because they started to put him on the green powder drink when he was six months old. He's been on that green drink ever since. And in the morning, uh, he'll send me pictures of his breakfast because he wants to show the grandpa, he wants to show the grandpa that he's got two, two vegetables that he's eating in the morning with his other things that he eats, which are also healthy. So I think you're absolutely right about the modeling. I think that we've got some problems here that, that could be addressed by a medical profession that paid a little closer attention. They're not testing kids early enough, to, in my opinion. They're waiting for a problem to happen. And I think we should start testing our kids when they're five and 10 years old to find out whether they have any predispositions that might manifest later. I have a granddaughter that I'm sure is developing into a diabetic because she has you know, too many carbohydrates and too many fruits in her diet. And I know that there's a test called the glycomark test where we could actually find that out and make corrections. It's very hard sometimes to even get your your family to get into this uh, thing so when when I read the book by uh, Karen DeFelice uh, about children's autism that kind of woke me up a little bit too because she had two autistic children age boys were five and seven and she went to four or five different doctors and they all diagnosed these kids with autism and she had a master's degree in science. And so she just didn't buy it. You know, She just didn't think that was possible. So she did her research and she, she found out through the research that sometimes it's not only diet that has to change, but some things happen that maybe are genetic or biochemical. And, and in this case, she looked at the science and said, maybe they're not getting enough enzymes because it was always the dairy and the wheat that they weren't able to process. Anyway, she bought some digestive enzymes. She gave them each one. And then 10 minutes later, she gave them an ice cream sandwich. We had both the dairy and the wheat in it. Usually that would send them to the hospital for about three or four days. Nothing happened. So those kids had a genetic biochemical predisposition to not be able to process wheat and dairy. Once she got on the digestive enzymes with them and changed their diet, within six months they were back in school and normal and five doctors made a huge mistake in diagnosing her kids as autistic. So she's got a New York Times best-selling book uh, and she's got a couple of them out there uh, on, on how, to, how to help children to become healthier when they have these sy- symptoms or problems like autism or ADHD. So to me, parents have to take advantage of that kind of science and that kind of information just to make sure they're doing some self-care or some self-checking and not always trusting the doctors because they don't get the diagnosis right lots of times.
0: I agree. I mean, I think that to me always speaks to the role of the gut microbiome and how most doctors at this point in time, we're still in our infancy of understanding the gut microbiome and how um, the bacterial colonies are associated with neurotransmitter production you know i think this is really the point and this is where integrative and functional medicine is a lot better equipped than allopathic medicine in a lot of ways because you have a more comprehensive view of the body and you're more likely to associate with practitioners that are seeing Uh, a holistic and the complexity of how all systems work within the body to support overall well-being
1: yeah i think you're right i think finding a pediatric doctor that's actually an integrated doctor i mean Mm -hmm. we do use functional medicine a lot because it kind of is a more classic uh, difference between allopathic and and functional. But when you combine the best of the allopathic world, and there is about 20 or 25% evidence to support what they're doing. But when you combine that with functional medicine, you become this integrated medical model. And that's where every parent should take their child and right now, uh, in, in the case of this anorexic person, a uh, young person, they're they're finding it hard to find a doctor. And I think maybe that's an advantage for them. They, if they're going to get uh, someone that's uh, got an eating disorder uh, practice, but they're not doing it with integrative medicine, they're they're not going to get the right advice. So I actually screened a lot of uh, registered dietitian coaches to find out which one was the most qualified to actually handle a case like this. And now I'm recommending this registered dietitian to the parents so that they can actually get some coaching, not just for the child, they need to get the coaching for the parents so that they know how to do their jobs because they're the ones that allowed this whole thing to develop as far as it did. So I think that's the other thing we have to realize that there are coaches out there who are registered dietitians, who are certified and able to make recommendations. And if you can find one that really does an integrative approach, that's probably one of your best resources. we don't need one of those in your family because you're you you already qualify as yeah. a as a coach in that area. And my son gets um, tired
0: of hearing it, so I, I get it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm I'm sure. And yeah. my my grandson's funny because he he'll go to the he'll go to the store with his mother and his and she'll put something in the basket and he'll get, have, uh, Mommy, I don't think Grandpa wants us to eat that.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And so
1: I'm the villain, and he's just sort of carrying the message. And she reports on this. She says, you know, he called me out the other day. He said this was too much sugar we shouldn't be eating that. <laughs> and I thought, isn't that great? Because if you go back to the, uh, the recycling uh, thing that happened, I think in the 60s or 70s, whenever it happened, it was actually children that got that movement going and the parents weren't into it at all. And then all of a sudden, the kids got into it in school for an environmental week or something like that. And the next thing you know, the blue, the, the, the blue basket that started the whole recycling thing was actually started by kids, as I understand it. Maybe we need kids to get out there and do some more coaching of their parents so that they can better, get better nutrition. And uh, maybe your, your son's gonna be one of those, you know, maybe he'll, uh, maybe he'll start to encourage his peers. That's
0: right. He definitely already does, which is beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think it is wonderful. And I, because, you know, that's where the leaders come from when, they, when they're willing to step up and have confidence. I, I think this whole thing became acer- exacerbated during this COVID uh, experience, not only for the reasons you said, but look at all the children that had strokes or heart attacks after contacting COVID. Mm -hmm. This was really, really terrible. And now we're getting a similar kind of reaction to the vaccinations where a lot of young men, teenagers are uh, developing a heart disease and a heart condition and and, and the long haulers, those people that have symptoms for several weeks or months that can't get away from them. Now we have teenagers that are long haulers with this heart problem and with brain fog and with lung issues. And this goes back to the fact that we're not testing anybody. For instance, in this case, we're not testing them for their vitamin D3 levels. If we had all the children tested for their vitamin D3 levels and got all of them to get into the sun and eat some fish and take a supplement if they need it, we wouldn't need to vaccinate children. This would totally be an unnecessary thing. And I'm not convinced that the vaccinations, some of the ones that are the mRNA type, won't do some genetic damage down the road. I would not like to see kids get vaccinated for now until there's better long-term studies. But if they don't have high enough levels of vitamin D3, then they're vulnerable. And so we got to get them eating better, maybe getting them some tests to see what their vitamin D3 levels are and then getting this supplemented with you know more time outside in the sun and more fish and more supplements if needed. Uh, so this, I think the COVID actually exacerbated this problem from my perspective. And it's, it's making us more concerned and I think more worried about whether the vaccines are really the best thing for young people, especially. I, I don't know how you feel about that.
0: I'm in complete agreement, yeah.
1: Wow, I, I have more doctors now and, and more parents telling me the same thing. They're asking me over and over again, should my kids get the vaccine? Well, now they're gonna mandate it. And so all the kids will have to have it. And in California, many years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, when the state of California mandated vaccinations at that time, mercury and aluminum were used as carrying agents for the vaccinations. And so some of the mothers got together in California and found out that there was a way to actually detox the mercury and aluminum out of the bodies after the kids got vaccinated. So the program they came up with was, okay, instead of having 17 vaccinations all in one one day or one week, let's spread them out. At, you know, two or three weeks each, and then that you won't get that big exposure, and they found out the chlorella and 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 other uh, greens from the sea actually would would chelate the mercury out of the body, and they could they found that silica actually got the aluminum out of the water, and so they started drinking things like Volvic water and Fiji water, and they found that in three months they could get the mercury and the and the aluminum out of the body. You can go on the YouTube and get videos where scientists are actually explaining this whole procedure. But I did that for my grandchild around, you know, whatever age two or three, whenever they were doing all this vaccinations, and he didn't have any problem with it. The the parents didn't have any problem with it. And I'm sure we avoided a lot of unnecessary mercury and aluminum uh, in his body because of that. Did you ever hear of, of, of that particular program or Uh, Is this something that I have? Okay, good.
0: I have, and I used to work with children that were born to um, drug addicted mothers.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, that's very Um, cool.
0: It is. There's just not, you know, my I have the same concern with you around mRNA uh, vaccinations because there's no way to detox genetic changes. So
1: yeah, that's right. And 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 we know that when we start messing around with the DNA. Uh, I mean, CRISPR is one of those examples where they, they 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 tried, you know, to say, okay, we can cut out these things. And if it works, it's great, you know, but they in, in one of the studies that they did, they found out that the body then said, oh, you want to make some changes in DNA? Well, we know how to do that. <laughs> and so they decided to just go ahead and make some of their own changes in our DNA. Mm-hmm. And that was concerning to me. I mean, you know, CRISPR is great. I mean, and if you can sort of identify... Uh, a Down syndrome person and you can cut out that the, the child is it's kind of developing and you can cut out that DNA beforehand. That that's fine. I am okay with that as long as it's safe, but I'm not convinced that technology is there yet. I don't think that it's safe enough. You know it's science we should be pursuing for sure. But it's kind of like the article that came out in Time magazine a few days ago. And they said, the answer to uh, avoiding the next pandemic is to do genetic research on the virus and find out so much about it that we can neutralize it with a super vaccination. And I thought, no, that's not even close to being the solution that I would go for. I would go for the root cause of the COVID, which is the wet markets in China. I would go for the immune systems that we have that are so broken and trying to fix it and get more vitamin D into our bodies. There were half a dozen things that I thought were more important than studying the genome of the virus in order to find a way to get a super vaccination. Mm -hmm. Is that something they should be doing too? But no, they decided to put all $4.7 billion into this genetic research and nothing into anything else. I mean, that's upside down from my point of view.
0: I agree entirely.
1: Well, what can we tell parents at the end of our little program here that we've stirred up some things, we've given them some ideas to think about. Um, You know, I know there's probably more grandparents on this show than there are uh, parents. Uh, And I know sometimes the grandparents have a difficult time jumping in to play a role uh, when they've already gone through that in their life and they don't feel like their kids uh, really welcome this kind of thing. Is there anything that we can recommend to these grandparents and the parents that would be a starting point? I mean, I would love it if every hospital uh, gave every new mother and and dad a book on how to feed their children (laughs) because they don't have a clue on how to do this. And all the information they get from the media is kind of half right. It's, it's not really as good of information as they should be getting. But that to me would be a fix for the future. Right now, maybe the schools is the way to go at this with the Golden Carrot Award. Uh, maybe doing some research to find out how children can eat healthier. I mean, there's a lot out there on the Internet. I think parents, both the, the husband and the wife, just have to take more time. This is really important. and. This came home to roost with this anorexic teenager where these two parents as, as, as loving and as uh, g- good intentions as they had, they just didn't see the early signals that this this lady, this the young lady had a problem. You know, she's five foot seven and is uh, weighs 103 pounds and thinks she has a double chin. And when they asked her what she weighs, she said she didn't know. And I know darn well, she checks her her, her weight every day. And so this has now become a psychological issue. I think it, I probably could have been nipped in the bud if they would have practiced a lot of the better nutrition things that you and I have been talking about. Anyway, we've ranted and we've raved, and we, <laughs> I, I hope, <laughs> hope we've got some people stirred up enough to think about it. I want to add that uh, a lot of the young people that I'm dealing with now have thyroid problems, and it looks like almost every one of them has Epstein-Barr in, in their history. And it looks like some of the studies say as many as 100% of people now in our population have the Epstein-Barr virus in them. It's just sort of deactivated. And if you do something that kind of triggers these viruses, then they come forward and you end up with a lot of other viral challenges. And so that's another one of those tests that I think Every, every parent should have for their kids, vitamin D, epstein bar, just as a starting point. Anyway, thanks for hanging in there with me today as I ranted and raved. I'd like to say thank you to our sponsors today, the Southern Trust Financial Planning Group. Financial planning, you know, is, is a good idea. You, you want to you build, build your savings so that you have a good retirement. But if you don't have good health at the same time as you have a good financial statement, it doesn't do you much good. And so, you know, I think the saying is, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Well, financial trust, uh, Southern Trust Financial Planning has been looking after the welfare of their clients for 15 or 20 years now, doing workshops from our company to these, uh, to these uh, customers. And I think the customers really appreciate it because it shows that the company's not just interested in your financial bottom line, they're interested in your health bottom line. DHA labs, they're the lab that I've used all the time. And now we've got a new test, it's a it's an advanced brain test that actually uh, from some of the things you recommended includes some of the gut health things that need to be in there. Because 70 to 90% of all serotonin is made in the gut. So if you have a dysfunctional gut, your brain's not gonna work right. So this is actually a test that I helped uh, develop for them which actually gives a combination of these markers for the for the intestines and the brain, and so I'm really proud to be working with them. They're they're one of the best uh, testing co- companies out there, and uh, they they really have a good ethic as well because they they provide their services at extremely reasonable cost, and they're always state of the art tests that we use. Uh, Paddock Pools is the third one, and they're they're I think they're the healthiest pools in the country, and now swimming. I mean talk about an exercise that that we need for everyone of any age you can start swimming when you're six months old and you can swim all the way till you're 90 or 100 and so uh, they have a thing called a vacuum extractor and that takes the, um, the chlorine gas off the surface so when you're swimming you're getting a higher level of oxygen intake which means your cells are going to be healthier If you breathe in that chlorine gas, you're going to get zinc deficiencies, you're going to get vitamin D deficiencies, it's going to lead to cancer in some people. So this is really a great thing to have and and Paddock Pools is I think one of the only companies in the country that has this technology. And finally MPB Health. MPB Health is a medical cost sharing company and this is really important because you know health insurance is going up every day. Now it's up to double digits like 10-15% for an employer. Uh, with with them taking a a real concentration and putting a concentration on wellness. All the members are really educated and and provided incentives for becoming healthier. And what that leads to is a medical cost-sharing program that's able to reduce the overall costs by 30 to 50 percent. And this is really important for individuals and for small groups because these are the ones that really get hit the hardest because you don't have a big group to spread out your risk. And so MPB Health is, I think, one of the true answers to the healthcare crisis that we're facing. So I thank all four of our sponsors today. They've just renewed for another quarter. So I think they're pretty happy with what we're doing. And we hope that they continue to be there for us in the future so that we can be there for all the people that listen to our show. Thanks again, Aubrey, and we'll see you next time.